You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 129. Season's greetings, metamorphs! Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and keep you up to date on my life and my writing. So, let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you the first part of my Metamore City Christmas story, A Lightbringer Carol. This story first ran in December 2010 and February 2011, in special episodes 19, 20, 23, and 24 of the Metamore City podcast. This was the last story that I ran on the podcast before Metamore City pod-faded, and it's still one of my favorites. You're about to hear an all-new recording of it, which I'm producing for the Urban Legends audiobook. I hope you enjoy it. A Lightbringer Carol Being a Tale of Metamore City For Charles, who knew how to keep Christmas, if any man did. Stave 1 Father's Ghost December 18th, 2000 Christos Reckoning Santa was dead, to begin with. There was no doubt whatsoever about that. The after-action report was signed by the field commander, the director of operations, the secretary of the Office of She Affairs, and the chief battle mage. Janus had signed it, and Janus's word could be counted upon for anything he chose to put his name to. Old St. Nicholas, the she-lord of the Yuletide, was as dead as a doornail. It didn't stick. Mind, there was no reason Janus would have expected it to. The She-Lords were ideas incarnate, and the idea of Yuletide was a powerful one indeed. Untold millions of children waited each year on the night of the winter solstice, firm in their belief that a jolly old man in a magic sleigh would visit their homes, bringing toys for the righteous and coal for the wicked. On the long night, when the veils between the worlds were thinnest, the power of that faith was strong enough to call forth the She-Lord from the dreamlands, to cloak him in flesh and bone and send him on his way. For one night each year, a being more powerful than some demigods was loosed upon the world, and no ward or threshold could bar his passing. It was the sort of thing that gave Janus nightmares. The Fae were mad every last one of them, from Titania herself to the lowest pixie. Anyone who invited such a creature into their homes was begging for disaster, no matter how jolly he seemed. Even worse, Santa's yearly invasion sent disruptions through the very fabric of reality, weakening the barriers at a time when the mortal world could least afford it. Janus himself could have filled a large warehouse with the horrors he had vanquished on the annual long night patrols. And now, three days before another winter solstice, when he should have been drilling his troops on anti-fay tactics and setting wards around sensitive positions in the city, he was instead cooling his heels in a small waiting room, somewhere in the upper levels of the citadel, 
Word had come down from Lothanasi High Command. The star child wanted a word with him. The door to the waiting room opened, and a young teenager dressed in brown robes poked her head in. Agent Starson, the mistress will see you now. Janus rose from the chair, smoothed the front of his uniform, and followed. The acolyte led him down a short corridor and into her mistress's study. Bookshelves lined most of the walls, from the floor to the five-meter-high ceilings. Enchanted glass spheres hung from the ceiling, bathing the room in a warm light that reminded Janus of a late summer afternoon. The stone floor was covered with thick, soft rugs that swallowed his footsteps. On the far end of the room, an ancient longbow and an elvish short-sword hung on the wall above the fireplace. Ah, there we are. The voice came from a feline theriomorph, who sat in an armchair beside the fire. She wore a simple white robe that matched her fur and contrasted with her mahogany-brown eyes. Age was hard to guess with many of the cursed. Had she been a stranger, Janus might have pegged her in her early fifties, instead of the thirteen-odd centuries he knew her to be. She held an old leather-bound book in her lap and a cup of tea in one hand. Janus wasn't sure why immortality seemed to give people a fondness for tea and old books. Maybe they were the only things in the modern era that still seemed familiar. Janus lowered himself to one knee and bowed his head. I come as bidden, your eminence. Mirai Hindana, last priestess of the Lothanasi Order, prophet of Eli, and living saint to the church that bore her name, snorted at him. Janus, if you ever call me that again in private, I'll have you scrubbing floors in the temple for a month. Come have some tea with your great-grandmother and stop being ridiculous. Janus blushed. Obediently, he approached and sat in the chair beside her, took the cup that was offered to him, and drank. Mirai nodded her approval. So, how is your life treating you, dear? Janus's grip tightened on the cup. Very well, ma'am. Thank you for asking. And that nice young lady you work with? The operations officer. How is she doing? Candace? She's doing well. She earned two commendations and a promotion this year. Had the old woman called him here because she was lonely? She had thousands, if not millions, of descendants running around the empire. Calling herself great-grandmother omitted at least sixty greats that should have gone in front of it. Couldn't she have found one of them to keep her company? Someone a bit less busy, perhaps? Ah, wonderful. And you've had a promotion yourself, of course. The High Command tells me you've been doing some excellent work in your new position. Thank you, ma'am. I'm glad to hear they said so. From her perspective, he supposed, five years as a field commander probably did constitute a new position. Mirai peered down into her tea for a moment. They also said that you haven't been taking any of the leave you have coming to you. No, ma'am. Care to tell me why not? Janus shrugged fractionally. I haven't needed it. You know our heritage, ma'am. I haven't had an illness yet that I couldn't cure with the light healing. Mirai snorted again. <laughs> Heavens, child, you don't need to come down with the flu to take a day off. Haven't you ever wanted a vacation? Janus frowned. 
This city is my charge, ma'am. My responsibility. I couldn't leave her unprotected. Unprotected? Janus, dear, you're very talented and an excellent agent, but you're not quite so important as all that. I think Metamore City will survive if you take a week off now and again. Janus blushed again, amazed at how easily this woman could make him feel like a child. To be honest, ma'am, I don't think I'd know what to do with myself if I was away from work for that long. Well, let's start small, then, Mirai said. The solstice is coming up in a few days. I want you to take the night off. Janus nearly dropped his teacup. He sat up straight in his chair and stared at her. What? Mirai's feline ears twitched backward. Apparently he'd said it louder than he intended to. You heard me. From sundown of the long night to sundown the following day, you're relieved of duty. She pulled an envelope from between the pages of her book and passed it to him. Since I know you're the type who likes everything in writing, here are the orders from high command confirming my decision. He took the envelope in numb fingers, stared dumbly at the seal of the high command on the back. Why? It was all he could force out between his teeth. Because this vendetta of yours with the Holly King has become an embarrassment to the rest of the order. For all that Mirai came across as sweet and kindly, there was no mistaking the iron in her now. Her red-brown eyes pinned Janus to his seat, a hint of white fire glowing in the cat-like pupils. Bad enough when the reporters caught you lugging in his severed head two years ago. Imagine what we had to say to the children. But last year was even worse. Janus winced, remembering the shattered wards at Lothanasi headquarters a lump of coal by his office door, and the fey ribbons that had threatened to strangle poor Candace if he went after Santa again. He outmaneuvered me, Janus admitted. Fey don't normally deviate from their patterns that much. The Lothanasi can survive being seen as fanatics, Mirai said, her voice cold and hard as ice. We cannot survive being seen as incompetent. If a she-lord breaks into our stronghold a second time, the public will start to question why they're trusting us to protect them. If that happens, we're finished. You know as well as I do, we can't keep him out if he decides to come back, Janus said quietly. Not unless... The old catwoman's lip twitched. Unless I came out of retirement. I probably could keep him out if it came to that. But no. He's had his fun. If you can manage to avoid provoking him again, I suspect he'll give us no further trouble. She pointed a clawed finger at the envelope. Which is why I'm removing the temptation for you. Janus just resisted the urge to crumple the letter in his fist. And what am I supposed to do while my people are out there doing my job without me? Mirai smiled beatifically. It's the Yuletide, Janus. The season of peace and goodwill to all. I'm sure if you think very hard, you can find someone who'd like to share it with you. Janus did not give up without a fight, not even where the Star Child was concerned. He sent a formal letter of appeal to the Lightbringer High Command, 
asking in the politest possible terms for them to reconsider their rubber-stamp approval of Mariah's decision. That earned him a phone call from the director, who pointed out that the Star Child had once dethroned an entire pantheon, and he should consider himself damned lucky to be getting off with a one-day suspension. As the last surviving priestess of the Order, Mariah outranked everyone in the High Command, but she rarely exerted that authority. She left the day-to-day operations of the Order in their hands because she trusted their judgment, and no one on the High Command was going to jeopardize that arrangement because of one field commander's injured pride. So it was, as the long night approached, that Janus issued final instructions to his lieutenants and took the lift up to his quarters. Many Lightbringers kept apartments or condos elsewhere in the city, and only used the barracks at headquarters when they were working a swing shift or some other extended assignment. Janus, by contrast, lived in his quarters, and he had done so since he enlisted in the Order at the age of 18. Many in the Order assumed that Janus did this because he was miserly, but nothing could be further from the truth. Janus thought very little about money, and had retained the services of a skilled accountant, so as to go on thinking of it as little as possible. Material wealth was a distraction from his work, and he was content to let an expert deal with such things, while he focused on more important matters. If he should ever become disabled in the line of duty, the word retirement was not even in his vocabulary, he knew that he would be well provided for. Beyond that, the finances meant nothing to him. Once he was locked inside, Janus placed a set of wards on the doors and windows. Not enough to stop St. Nicholas, should he appear, but enough to buy him a minute of advance warning. He laid a lemisil, the holy sword of Metamor, in its stand by his bedside table. He changed into his workout gear and busied himself for two hours with the treadmill, weights, and punching bag that took up most of his living room. He took a long shower, scrubbing harder than was strictly necessary, then redressed in a plain t-shirt and boxers. Janus looked at the clock. It was now shortly after seven. Outside, on the street, the first incursions were sure to have happened by now. He dialed the intercom to ops, but no one answered. He was just wondering what to do next when a knock sounded at the door. Who is it? he asked. Candace, boss. Janus frowned. What was Candace doing here? Could it be a fey trick of some kind? Recognize Alpha 7, Gamma, Wolfram. He thought he heard a sigh from the other side of the door. Delta 5, 9 Upsilon. Now open the door, your dinner's getting cold dinner? Somehow the thought had slipped his mind. Usually he ate just before leaving on patrol. Now that he thought about it, his stomach stirred in sudden awareness of his own hunger. He temporarily lowered the wards and opened the door. Candace wore a civilian sweater and blue jeans and had let down her hair to fall in soft, wavy curls around her shoulders. She held a cafeteria tray full of food on one arm and a wrapped Yule present under the other. She gave him a lopsided smile. Good Yule, boss. Good Yule, Candace. Janus was momentarily distracted by the way the light refracted in her eyes. They were hazel and seemed to change color every time he saw her. 
Right now, they looked sort of pale green, but turned to a reddish brown around the pupils. Janus admired the delicate, almost artistic complexity of them. You want to take this tray before I drop something on you? Janus blinked, abruptly realizing that Candace was balancing three plates and two mugs on a tray with only one hand. Oh, of course. My apologies. Please, come in. His quarters weren't really furnished for entertaining guests, which at the moment seemed unfortunate. He set down the tray on his desk, pushing back the computer terminal and keyboard to make room. Candace took one of the mugs and claimed a spot on the foot of his bed, while Janus sat in his desk chair. Here, happy holidays, Candace said, handing him the present. Janus wasn't sure he was ready for any more surprises tonight. Thank you, but... I didn't get you anything. I guess that just means I'm a better person, Candace said airily. Oh, wait. You saved my life last year, so I guess we're even. Go on, open it. Curious, Janus did so. Inside, he found a long knitted scarf of black, white, and gold, with the twin cross of the Lothanasi in a repeating pattern. The initials, J.S., adorned each end of the scarf. It was obviously handmade, and felt soft, thick, and warm. This is extraordinary, he said, and meant it. He looked in vain for any sign of a loose or dangling thread. You made this for me? Candace grinned, the light of obvious pride dancing in her eyes. I'm glad you like it. Janus looked down at the scarf again, running his hand over the fabric. He couldn't even imagine how long it had taken to make this. The craftsmanship is superb. I didn't even know you knitted. She shrugged. I had to find something to keep me busy while I watched those patrols. Janus smiled. I suppose so. He hung the scarf on one of the coat hooks by the door, adjusted the ends so that it hung evenly, then sat back down and turned his attention to dinner. So what's going on out there? Any news? I have no idea, Candace said, in a tone of voice that said she was supremely happy about that fact. I'm taking the night off. Janus frowned. They put you on suspension as well? No, I just took the night off, Candace said dryly. Jillian's a big girl. She can hold down the fort without me. I haven't gotten the solstice off in four years. Janus took a bite of stew, chewed, and swallowed. I don't know how you can stand it. With everything that could happen tonight, to not know what's going on. Candace reached across and put a hand on his arm. You trained them well, Janus. Trust your people. Trust yourself that you picked the right men and women for the job. And trust me. You? You aren't even working tonight. Exactly. And if I thought you'd screwed anything up, I'd be up there covering for you. But you didn't which means I get to relax. Janus snorted a laugh in spite of himself. <laughs> All right. So, what are you going to do with this night off? Go to the candlelight service at my church, Candace said promptly. Then go home, get a good night's sleep, and go ice skating in the morning with my brother and his kids. Janus took another bite of stew. Sounds very... civilian. It's fun, Candace said. You ever been ice skating? When I was a child, Janus admitted. 
My mother took me, sometimes. I think she thought it was a bonding experience. He paused, thinking back. Mostly, the ice seemed to bond with different parts of my anatomy. Candace giggled. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Sometimes you gotta fall down a few times before you get things right. She kept him company through the meal, chatting about inconsequentials, repeatedly steering him away from any talk of work. When he was done, she took the tray from him and stacked up the dirty dishes. I'll take these down to the cafeteria for you. I appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. Candace lingered in the door a moment. Listen, I know you're probably going to be climbing the walls in here. If you decide you want to get out and you want some company, let me know. Janus looked past her at the wall, suddenly uncomfortable. I appreciate that, Candace. But I can see your family's important to you. I'd hate to intrude. The light in Candace's eyes faded a little. Her free hand came up and touched lightly to his shoulder. It's not intruding if you're invited, she said softly. Good night, Janus. She turned and left, walking quickly away before he could even think of a reply. The hours passed slowly. Janus had never been one to indulge in alcohol, tobacco, cannabis, television, or any other vices that might dull his senses or distract him from his duties. He busied himself for a time at his bookshelf, which was filled with treatises on military history, books on leadership, biographies of important warriors, and other useful topics. But after a while, everything he read began to remind him of work. Disgusted, he finally turned out the lights and went to bed. He awoke at midnight to an unearthly blue light and the sound of metal scraping against stone. Before he was even fully awake, his hand went to the bedside stand where Lemisil rested and closed on empty air. Looking for this, my son. Janus looked up at the foot of the bed. A pale, glowing form sat on the edge of the bed, not half a meter from Janus's own feet. He was a white-haired and grizzled-looking man, too heavy-jawed and battle-scarred to be called handsome. He wore the white battle-dress uniform of the Lothanasi Order, the name Starson visible on his shoulder patch. A lemisil appeared to sit on his lap, though the man's translucent form gave the impression that the sword was floating. The man drew a whetstone along the surface of the blade, and the scraping sound came again. The elven sigils on the blade glowed a brilliant blue that matched the nimbus around the man himself. Janus's eyes narrowed. You aren't my father. The specter smiled faintly, the crow's feet deepening around his blue-white eyes. And what makes you so sure of that, Janus Asariel Starson? Janus felt the sharp inner resonance of his name his true name, being spoken by one who knew him. No fairy knew his full name, and few mortals did either. Impossible, he whispered. My father would not have left a ghost. He was a good and righteous man. He died peacefully after a lifetime of service. He earned his rest in the realms beyond. I gave my life in service, the ghost agreed. 
The whetstone scraped loudly against the sword blade. My life was my duty. You understand this. I learned it from you, Janus agreed. He still refused to believe that this was truly Father's ghost, but he found himself using the word you in spite of himself. Purely for the sake of argument, he reasoned. But tell me, my son, the ghost said. What becomes of the warrior when his war is over? Who is the service man when his service is ended? At this, the ghost raised the hand that had been grasping Alemacil's hilt. A thick, heavy chain encircled his wrist and ran to the pommel of the sword, shackling it to his body. I forged this chain with the choices I made in life, the ghost said gravely. Every time I put my duty before love, every time I sacrificed my desires for the good of the order, every time I used my work to hide my growing sense of alienation from my fellow man, the chains grew thicker and stronger. At the last, when death should have ended my labors, my spirit joined with the Lemisil to continue them. I could not enter rest, Janus. I had forgotten what rest was. Janus could think of nothing to say to that. He stared at the elven blade and wondered if it was true, wondered how many other warrior spirits might have become joined with it in its ten thousand years of service. He had known the sword possessed intelligence, but the possibility that it was literally haunted had not occurred to him. If this is true, he said at last, why have you never spoken to me before? The power of the long night permits me this brief time to speak to you, the ghost said. Always before, the blade was in service to its duty on this night. Tonight it rests from its labors, as do you. And so I have this chance, this one chance, to save you, my son. To save me? Janus asked. To save me from what? From this, the ghost cried, rattling his chain. By all nine hells, Janus, I would save you from this prison. Every day you forge a chain like mine, one that would bind you till the world's end. But there is still time for you, my son. I have made intercession for you with the realms beyond and secured a chance and a hope for you to escape my fate. Janus swallowed a lump in his throat. You always did look after me, father. What... what is this hope you speak of? You will be haunted, the ghost said, by three spirits. Silence fell between them. Forgive me, father, but that doesn't sound particularly helpful. The ghost smiled sadly. My son, without their visits you cannot hope to escape the path I tread. Look for the first of them tonight, at the hour of one. Putting his whetstone away, the ghost carried the sword back to its stand. Father, wait, Janus said. Please, it's... it's been a long time. So you believe me at last, do you? 
the ghost said quietly. I cannot stay, and it is unlikely I will ever be permitted to speak to you again. But as long as you carry the sword, know that I am always with you, Janus. The chains of my duty have seen to that. The elven sigils flared, and the chain began to retract, disappearing into the pommel of the sword. When Father's hand reached the hilt, his glowing form was suddenly and violently pulled inside it, like a bedsheet being pulled through a small hole. There was a final, brilliant flash of light, and then it was gone, leaving Janus alone in the darkness. And that was Stave 1. Come back next week as our carol continues, when Janus is visited by a Lightbringer from the distant past. Charles Dickens said, The whole difference between construction and creation is exactly this, that a thing constructed can only be loved after it is constructed, but a thing created is loved before it exists. So, let's take a look at what I've been creating lately. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 5,391 words this week, over the course of 8.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 616 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 159 days without breaking my chain. This week I continued my edits for The Lost and the Least. I chopped out a few pieces of the first draft and wrote a little less than 5,000 new words. The manuscript is now up to 224,000 words. By comparison, making the cut was the longest thing I had written before this, and that was about 186,000 words. Interestingly, though, none of my beta readers have said that the book was too long, so I guess that's just a sign that I was telling a big, complex story with a lot of moving parts. At the time I wrote this script, I was about a third of the way through a timeline check, making sure that all the scenes are in the right order, and that things are happening when they're supposed to happen. Looking back at the month of November, I wrote a total of 12,466 words in 16 days, for an average of 779 words per day. I spent 18.75 hours writing in November. Compared to October, my word count increased by 2%, and my writing time increased by 4%. It was my sixth least productive month for pure writing, but I also spent about 28 hours working on audio recording, production, and editing The Lost in the Least, so I was still keeping busy. All the same, I'll be glad when this book is off to the printers, and I can get back to working on new projects. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Mastodon handle is at author Chris Lester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. 
You can also support my work by joining my Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2010 and 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.